listening to a sermon podcast from Boston Heights Alliance Church. Today we begin a new series called Your Bible and How to Use It. May God bless you as you listen. Let's pray before we get into God's Word. We start a new series today. Father, thank you for your Word. We call it the Word of God, and certainly there are a lot of words in there. And Lord, we know full well that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God are for our benefit, for our joy, for our saving, for our perfecting. And Lord, as we are in your word today, we pray for a refreshing. We know that whenever we're in your word, we come to certain points too where there is a convicting, and that's okay. That's good. It helps to move us on from where we are, from maybe where we can't get out of to the place we need to be, where you want us to be. And often, Lord, sometimes where we feel we need to be and where you want us to be aren't the same thing. Sometimes we get our wires crossed and we we think certain things are your will, but they're not your will. And sometimes we want to be farther along than maybe you think we're ready for. And so we push ourselves and... As a result, guilt heaps into our life, and and that then challenges our Bible reading, and it causes us to ignore it, and we don't want that. I pray, Lord, that this day begins a new series of refreshment, of rediscovery. For those of us who have had our Bibles for a very long time, over 30 years for myself, to now... And some of my brothers and sisters are like me here, but I pray that this series will be a refreshing for them. For those who have never even cracked the spine of a Bible because they don't even know where to begin, and I get that, I've been there, all of us have been there. I never knew even how to look in a Bible. I never knew what the books of the Bible were. I never knew anything about it. And so, Lord, we, we can have compassion on those folks that are among us who are unfamiliar with their Bibles altogether. And we pray that this series will help them set some, set some things in motion for them that will help them to gain and glean from your word what it is that you want them to hear of you. But we thank you for your word today. We'll be talking a lot about that and about the humility that we need to have before we even open the book. And Lord, today we just want to do that right now. We just pause And in all humility, we just say, Lord, we don't know this ancient book as well as we'd like, maybe even as well as we should for some of us. Some of us should be teachers by now, but we're still eating baby food from your word. But Lord, allow your word today to penetrate our hearts and our minds, to spark something within us so that we may know you better. And in order to be in that place, we humble ourselves before you and ask that the word of God would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Join me, B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. 
Some of you are familiar with that old Sunday school song. How many of you remember singing that as a kid? Yeah? It's been a long time, hey? That's a good reminder. Uh, It's cute in a lot of ways, but I think if most of us were probably honest today, I bet most of you wouldn't know where you stand with your Bible. Is it really the book for you? We want it to be. We really want it to be. But really, like our Bibles, some of you maybe even have nice cases for them, and we do like our Bibles, but as our Western culture shifts away from a Judeo-Christian heritage, and as we watch popular entertainment mediums launch attack after attack after attack on, on our Bibles, most churchgoers have developed serious questions about the Holy Bible and its place in their life. For instance, in 2013, the Angus Reid Forum and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and the Canadian Bible Forum all got together and they conducted what they called the Canadian Bible Engagement Study to discover just kind of where the, the biblical literacy of Canada was. The study found a few things. Number one, it found that one in seven or 14% of all Canadian Christians claim to read the Bible at least once a week. 14%. Although evangelicals like us read the Bible more frequently than those of other Christian traditions, our percentages weekly, weekly Bible reading, have dropped to half since 1996. Daily readers among evangelicals dropped by one-third. Only 23% of Canadian Christians strongly agree that the Bible is the Word of God. Only 23% of Canadian Christians agree that the Bible is relevant for modern life. 60% of Canadian Christians believe that the scriptures of other major world religions essentially teach the same thing as our Holy Bible. The relationship between the decline in regular Bible reading and the number of Canadians who identify as Christians cannot be ignored, I don't think. The decline in our confidence in the Bible as the Word of God is, is mirrored, I think, by the decline in active participation in churches. Maybe you're conflicted about your Bible. Maybe those stats mirror your engagement with it. And maybe it's because most times you don't know what you're supposed to be getting out of it. And likewise, maybe you've wondered just how relevant it really is to your life. We're entering into a new series called Your Bible and How to Use It. I want you to take a good hold of your Bible. Could you grab your Bibles and take a good hold of them? Now, some of you don't bring your Bibles to church. Can I ask you to bring your Bibles to church on Sundays? If you don't have a Bible, then grab one from the pew rack in front of you. Take that home. It's now yours. Enjoy. And then bring it to church each week. But where do you begin with this Bible? Well, you begin by opening it. But before you do, I want to let you know a few things about this book of yours. That Bible that you're holding in your hands is actually more a library than it is a book. That Bible that you're holding is actually more a library than it is a book. It's a collection of 66 books and some letters, and it's divided into two big parts. At the beginning, the first half is the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and the second half is 
The New Testament. How many books in the New Testament? 27. Some of you are good at math. That's great. 66 books in all, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. The books of this Bible have been authored by over 40 authors and editors. Yes, there have been editors. Over a period of 1,500 years. Your Bible was written in three languages. The majority of the Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew. The new, entire New Testament was written in the language of uh, the Koine Greek language. 267 verses of your Bible were written in a language called Aramaic. 67 of those verses are found in the book of Ezra, and 200 of those are found in the books of Jeremiah and Daniel. The New Testament, too, has the odd Aramaic word in it as well, but they've been transliterated into the Greek. Today, the complete Bible has been translated into over 700 languages. Now, the New Testament uh, alone has an additional 1,800 languages that it's been translated into, and smaller portions of the New Testament, like the book of John, have been translated into an additional 1,000 languages. So somewhere around 7,000 languages today around the world, and we've got about 3,000 languages that now have access to the Bible. But here's the good news. There is what we call trade languages that majorities of people know on various continents. So even though you could be in, say, India, where there are multiple dialects, there is usually one main language that all Indians know. And that's a good thing for Bible translators, because then that means that they're able to get the Bible into more hands, but they're working on all those dialects. These 66 books were not written at the same time either, you have to understand that, or even, or even continuously. For example, between the Old Testament and the New, there is a 400-year period where there were no new books of the Bible written, except it was during this period, the period that we call the intertestamental period, it is a period before the old, or after the Old Testament ends and before Jesus starts his ministry, where there is these 400 years, we call them the 400 years of silence also, and the Hebrew Bible was then translated into the Greek language because the Greco-Roman Empire was making its way across the planet. It's trans, it's, this translation is called the Septuagint. Some of you maybe know it as, or have seen little indin, uh, indications in your Bibles saying LXX, that's the Septuagint. And then there's 16 additional books in the Septuagint that aren't in our Bibles. So just so you know, the only Bible that Jesus and his disciples had access to was the Hebrew Bible and the Greek Septuagint. With the expansion of the church into Greek-speaking Gentile lands, well, the Septuagint became very useful. And the Septuagint became the Bible of the early church and was extensively used by the New Testament writers. So the Jews called their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. Can you say Tanakh? Tanakh. You kind of have to that out. If you're German, you'll get that. It'll be good. It's made up of 16 scrolls, which include 24 books, of the, uh, which are books in our Bible, and they're organized into three main sections. First, there's Torah. The Torah, or teachings, also the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses. Then there's the Nevim, which is the prophets. And then there's the Ketuvim, which is the writings. Also, Jesus nor his disciples would have had access to all of these scrolls in one book, kind of like we do today. They would have had access to scrolls 
fragments of different parts of these books. Scrolls were shared around the local synagogues and in the temple in Jerusalem. But most Jews did not have access to a scroll to read for themselves daily. They had to depend on the public reading of it at a synagogue or at the temple. They would never have one of their own. And so, before there were books written, or even written down onto scrolls, much of the people of Israel depended on what we call oral tradition, oral texts. Much of the Bible, before it was ever written down, was passed on down by strict dedication to oral transmission. Ancient cultures had strong oral history disciplines. And according to scholars who specialize in this today, these people, they tell us, had these ancient peoples had the ability to to memorize massive amounts of material with 100% accuracy and then pass it down from one person to another. Some modern cultures have developed better forms of writing and with the advent of the printing press, we've kind of lost the art of orality or the need as it may be for the discipline of chronicling history orally. According to Old and New Testament scholar John Walton, texts came into existence and were passed along differently in a world that was dominated by hearing, because most of the world was illiterate. Most of the New Testament world, too, was illiterate. And for decades, John Walton says, eyewitnesses and members of the Christian community told and retold the stories of Jesus' life. And the book of Acts recounts how vital that oral gospel message was in the life of the early church. Because they just didn't have access to a book. The letters, as we call the epistles, so much of the New Testament past the gospels and the book of Acts, were letters written to specific churches. They didn't have, I mean, they tried to multiply those copies by copying them, but they didn't all have access to them like we do today in one book. So, The Bible that you have in your hands is still as much the word of God as the tablets that Joshua carted through the promised land, as much as the warnings that were passed on orally from the prophets, as much as the scrolls that David and his Israel that read out loud by the priests, and as much much the word of God as Jesus and the apostles would have quoted orally and would have finally written down. There is over 3,500 years of both oral and written transmission of this book that we call our Holy Bible today. So yeah, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. And I stand alone on the Word of God. That's more than just a cute Sunday school song, isn't it? Not only that, but this Bible that you possess draws on the varied experiences of its writers over, over a lot of time, constantly changing especially in relation to Israel. And as much as God's people, the Jews, had their own unique culture and language and literature and music and art and laws and God, they lived generationally from generation to generation among different cultures, different peoples who had their own culture, their own languages, their own histories, their own literature, music, art, laws, and gods. Like those living along the Mesopotamian River Valley, the Babylonians, Assyrians, the Ninevites, and Persians. Along the Syrian-Palestinian coastline, and where there were the Syrians, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, all these ites, and the, and the Philistines. 
along the Nile Delta and in Egypt and, and the Sinai, and finally on the upper part of the Mediterranean Sea where the Roman Empire finally dominated in, in Jesus' day. That means that the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible that you have, is a Bible that you can benefit from greatly, but understand this. It was written for you, but it was not written to you or even about you. Your Bible was not written to you or about you. That is extremely important to remember as you're reading it. That means that not every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. Moses didn't have you in mind when he wrote the first five books of the Bible. John, the revelator, didn't have anything in mind about you when he wrote the book of Revelation. Is there application for us today? Absolutely, but the authors weren't thinking of you specifically. Your Bible is a testament of life as we don't know it. You and I weren't there. We weren't there in Eden. We weren't there in Ur or Egypt or Jericho. We didn't live during the exile in Babylon or under the rule of the Roman Empire. We just weren't there. And so that's why we need to study historical texts along with our Bible so that we understand the fuller history of where God's people came from and out of the cultures that they lived. And so we must learn to read the Bible not from the perspective of our own culture or our present-day worldview, which we sometimes do a lot of, but rather from that of the Jewish people of the day in which the biblical authors wrote. Similarly, Adam's Eden experience is going to be different from Noah's Mesopotamian life experience. Noah's life experience is different than Abraham's Chaldean experience. And Abe's life experience is going to be different from Moses' Egyptian life experience. And so on, all the way to John the Revelator, who is the last author of the Bible. His Roman Empire experience isn't going to be the same as ours. See, the secret to understanding your Bible is to let the Bible be what it is. Let the Bible be what it is what it is. It is an ancient book, and it should be read like it is. Not like a novel, but more like a history book. In fact, if all you ever do is read it, honestly, that's not enough if you just read it devotionally to grasp your Bible. You're going to need to read other history books, as I said, to be able to get the overarching theme and understanding of this Bible. Just stay away from things like the History Channel, okay? That's nothing but biased, anti-supernatural, anti-God history. I've, I've included some books uh, later on in, in, the service, uh, in the sermon that every Christian should have sort of on their table as they're studying their Bible. You also need to understand that your Bible is not an exhaustive library of all truth. It doesn't speak to every possible subject that we humans can think of. That means that the Bible is not a science textbook, as many people like to try to make it to be. There's groups that travel all over Canada, the United States, and the world trying to make science come out of this book. But you can't prove through the Bible or even disprove evolution because the original authors had no idea about this concept or theory. 
The creation stories weren't designed to teach theological, uh, the, the creation stories were designed to teach theological ideas about who God is. And they deliberately uh, wrote into the story a challenge towards the gods of other nations of that day and age, not to explain scientific theory about creation and the created order. That means, too, that God wasn't revealing or predicting advanced scientific knowledge through the Bible. For instance, the cosmology of the ancient Hebrews was more like that of the flat earthers today than of NASA. That doesn't mean that we should believe the flat earth theory either because science today proves differently, doesn't it? So that means that we shouldn't try to make our Bibles conform to our present day science. We shouldn't try to use our Bibles to conform to our modern day worldview or even our modern theology. It is a collection of books that come out of a deeply supernatural world. And it discloses things about the supernatural world that we, just in the natural world, would never ever have knowledge of apart from this word of God. Things like supernatural spiritual beings. Sometimes in the Bible we get a glimpse into the reality of these heavenly spaces and, and, and God and his divine counsel and where e angels and demons all fit into the mix. And so we need to read our Bibles as a supernatural book because its architect is supernatural. Its architect is God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, one that we quote often to, to kind of talk about the origin of the book. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What I want you to come away with this week and all throughout this series is really is a sense of humility that this book that you hold in your hands or is maybe sitting on your bookshelf or maybe on your bedside table that humbly this is the word of God. <coughs> a work of literary art that God breathed out it is divinely created a masterpiece woven together over all these millennia, using the experience and the worldview of its authors to do one thing. Not to give you warm fuzzies or to be a scientific textbook, as I said, or even to help you work out any kind of mysterious hidden code. But to reveal to you who God is and the identity of the one he sent. John chapter 5, verse 38 to 40 tells us this. In fact, Jesus said this to the best Hebrew Bible scholars of his day. He said, listen, you guys, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That tells you something else about what you should know about your Bible. Your Bible is an amazing gift to you. It is the written revelation of God to humankind, but it, is, but it is not the best revelation. According to the Bible, Jesus is the best revelation of God to humankind. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to, 13, 1 to 3 spells it out. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom 
also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the word of God, John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's our Jesus. He is the word of God. He is God's best revelation to humankind. And the Bible just so happens to point us to Jesus, to us especially who could not walk in the footsteps with Jesus as his disciples did. God's best revelation to humanity is himself and his word. The entire record of Scripture from before Eden, when creation was just a primordial soup on the edge of nothingness, through to Moses wandering the desert of sin, through to Abraham ascending Mount Moriah with a knife and a son, to David killing off the last of the Nephilim and the prophets and their dreadful predictions, all of that points and leads us to one thing, the one God sent, his Messiah, Jesus the best of all of God's revelation to us. If you want to know about Jesus, just read your Bible. And it just so happens that that testimony is written in the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament. But supernaturally, we know that if you go through the Old Testament, you can trace through the Old Testament and see Jesus too. I mean, think about it. The early church, those those Jewish people in Jesus' day did not have our New Testament, did they? They did not have the Gospels. What did they have? Well, they had Jesus, and and they could catch a glimpse of him every once in a while. But other than that, they had the Old Testament Scriptures. And this is what Jesus says. He's talking to, he appears before his disciples after his resurrection, and he describes how this happens. He says in Luke 24, 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible. Through the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. All that information you could get from the Old Testament alone. Supernaturally, God managed the development and production of this Bible in its ongoing evolution through time so that you could read an inspired, accurate transmission of the revelation of Jesus the Christ in every generation that follows from here on in even until he comes. Even to this very day. Psalm 119, 89 to 93 says... Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Never, ever tell me you can't get anything out of the Old Testament. That's all Jesus and his disciples had. That's all David had. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. 
And I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. So really, before you ever open your Bible every day, you must open your heart and your mind to the eternal, all-knowing, supernatural God who engineered it. You have to believe that this is the word of God, or you'll get nothing out of it. And you have to want to meet him in its pages. Not just get a warm fuzzy, not just prove a theological debate, not just get some really good information to kind of help you through your day. In it, you can know him. See, he's promised a supernatural divine revelation to those who get into it. Psalm 119, 10 to 16, the psalmist says, I seek you, Lord, with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands, which are in this book. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statues as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. Can we read that last verse, verse 16 out loud together? I will not, oh sorry, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Here's the thing about that delight. If you have any reservation about this book being the word of God, honestly, you will become gradually more and more dissatisfied with it when you read it until you neglect it altogether. And maybe you're already there. Maybe that's the place you're at. Sermons like this renew your interest, and that's great, and you want, you want it to be important, this Bible. But the amount of time you spend reading it and studying it might reveal otherwise. Friend, the reality is, somehow, if you've closed off your heart to the Bible being God's word for your life, then you will neglect it. Psalm 119, verses 1 to 2. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walks according to the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. My friends, before you open this Bible every day, or any time you do, you must open your heart and mind to the eternal, all-knowing, supernatural God who engineered it. You have to believe that this is the word of God, the true word of God. And you have to want to meet him in its pages. You have to need his word more than all the other luxuries or sweet things this world has to offer. Psalm 19, verse 7 to 10, David says, The laws of the Lord are perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That's the experience of an Old Testament believer. If you believe the Bible is truly the word of God, then you will adopt a humble attitude toward it. And you will trust that it is the word of God for you. And then it will be more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Meaning that the word of God will become more important to you than things like your leisure time. More important than Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok. More important than getting the last few winks of sleep in before you take off for work or school. Let me ask you. Here's a posing question. Where is your Bible when you leave the house in the morning for school or for work? See, you can tell when you enter a house of someone who is satisfied with their Bible. Their Bible is in a primary, readily available place and the same place every day. They have their Bible, a notebook, pens, highlighters, reference materials lying around too. Because they know their Bible is the word of God, the law of the Lord, and it is perfect. And they can't get by on a day without it. It refreshes their soul. So where do you go from here? Well, I guess, like the psalmist says, we stop neglecting the word of God, right? When you get home, I want to encourage you to immediately put your Bible in a place you could call your Bible zone. It will be the place where you read. Let me give you a few other tidbits of information, things you need to be able to do to get the most out of your Bible. Again, if you just merely read this book devotionally and not actually study it, you're missing so, so much. And don't just rely on things like the daily bread with that little Bible verse in it to be your your portion for the day. That's not enough. In order to have the experience of like these Old Testament saints in the book of Psalms, you have to do more than just read it devotionally. You have to study it. But that's going to take time. But here's a few resources you might need. Number one, get a modern English study Bible. A modern English study Bible. Now, just so you know, they're different than your average Bible in that they have tons of resources in them, maps, cross-references, footnotes, text notes, commentary, a good concordance in the back, charts, and pictures. Who doesn't like pictures, right? And if you don't know how to use those resources, you can just scope it out on YouTube and you'll find out exactly how to use all those resources. I have some examples of some from my own library, the ESV Study Bible, the NIV Study Bible, and there's a, there's a Bible commentary here as well. But get a modern English study Bible, like the ESV study Bible, the English Standard Bible, and or like the NIV study Bible, the international version. Just stay away from study Bibles that are produced by celebrity pastors, okay? Uh, If you already have it, don't worry about it, but you you should stay away from buying these celebrity pastor study Bibles or Bibles, period, because they're just loaded with their own theological perspectives, especially on things like the end times, 
You can, let me be honest with you, you can know your own Bible and get a lot more out of it than you realize all by yourself. Now, some of you are going to hate me for this next, uh, this next statement. But I want to encourage you, if you really want to study your Bible today, you should switch from the King James Version and get a good modern English translation. No offense, the King James Version is great for devotional reading. It reads so beautifully, and it's great for memorization, but the modern translations, English translations, use better manuscripts than the King James Version did. That's a fact. You just have to link into anything on, on, well, stay away from the internet. It's horrible. (laughs) Plus, it's just hard to read. I mean, it's just different because... Our, that English was based on the, it was even a flowery English then, designed for, to impress King James in 1611. But that makes it hard to do good word studies for it today, because I don't know if you've looked in a dictionary lately, but the, the, some of the words that you used to use when you were a kid, not that long ago, I mean, the King James is over 400 years old already. But if you look in an English dictionary today, you'll see the definitions change. I mean, my kids are constantly telling me, Dad, you can't say that word anymore. It doesn't mean the same thing as it used to mean back then. Imagine 400 years of time changing. So get to an... like you, Sure, have your King James Version on the side. Read it devotionally. It's a beautiful translation. But get a good English study version today. And it's a study Bible, not just a regular Bible. Honestly, I have the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. That's very much like the Bible I had when I was first saved. Uh, my friend gave me a copy. It was a, it was a, a red copy of that exact Bible, the NIV Bible. But an NIV study Bible or an English standard version Bible is full of all kinds of resources that you will just love to use. Okay? Here's another thing you need. Be prepared to write in your Bible. So second of all, get a non-bleed-through pen and highlighter set to be able to write in your Bible. Uh, the ones I like to use are the ones by Pilot Friction. Uh, the .5, it just seems to write better than the .7. Uh, but these are erasable pens and erasable highlighters. I don't know about you, but sometimes I make mistakes, and I want to correct them. And this, these pens and highlighters do that. You can get them at Walmart, at London Drugs, or Amazon. Also get a notebook so that you can start taking notes as you're working your way through because there's not much of a margin in most of these Bibles. Thirdly, get a good one-volume Bible commentary, like the new Bible commentary. Um, There's lots of good one-volume Bible commentaries. A lot of them, though, again, are written by celebrity pastors and, you know, they're just, they don't help that much. But get a good non-biased one like the new Bible commentary. Even better yet, get the IVP, which is InterVarsity Press, Bible Backgrounds Commentary. Those two, it's a two-volume set. It's double the price of the one volume, but you'll love it. What it does is it takes you back in time to help you know what the historical setting, the worldview setting was of the day that the author wrote what he did. So in the book of Lamentations, you go, why would I ever read Lamentations? Well, because it's a great book. But as you go through it, these commentaries help you to understand and get more out of it than you could on your normal only reading. And then as well, get a good Bible dictionary, like the New Bible Dictionary. You can get them as a set with the the New Bible Commentary, and it's usually cheaper that way. Then you're all set. That's all you really need, but make sure that you have a good study Bible to be able to help you along in your journey. Psalm 119, verse 16. I delight in your decrees. 
I will not neglect your word. So again, before you open your Bible, you must open your heart and your mind to the eternal, all-knowing, supernatural God who engineered it. That's key. You have to believe that this is the word of God. And you have to want to meet him in its pages. You have to need his word more than you need all the other luxuries or sweet things that the world has to offer. And then the word of God will speak to you like you've never dreamed possible. So let us not neglect the reading of his word, my friends. Let us get into it. Let us study it. And let the word of God speak. Father, thank you for your word. As we open our books, our Bibles, we understand very clearly that it's a world apart from us. But that doesn't mean that we can't get great benefit from it. More importantly, you've told us that in these pages we can know you better by it. And so, Lord, allow that to be the impetus, the motivation for what we need to get our heads off our pillows in the morning and into the Word of God. Help us to learn it and memorize it throughout the day, to be studying it so that, Lord, we would be able to be people, not just of the Word, but people of God. Thank you for your Word. We pray for its benefit in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.